0: There's a very good chance that you may have heard somebody utter these words in a way that legitimizes their actions. And I'm here to tell you that the way that the world presents these words in no way is represented in the Bible. In the King James Version, it was published in 1611. There are 783,137 words in that version of the Bible. Listen again. 783,137 words. There's an amazingly high amount of people in our Western culture, this swath of even Americans and, 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 and Europeans and, and people who think that they know what the Bible says, that they take that 700,000 words and they whittle it down to three. Some people look at the Bible and say the Bible says do not judge and now let's close the book right would it, would it be fair to say that there is more content and direction breathed from the lips of God Almighty than simply three words that our culture likes to quote every single day to justify their behavior In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has begun his ministry and he was healing sick and casting out demons and people from all over the land started to follow him. And in the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus starts what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. So these people had started to follow Jesus because they had seen what he had done. He was casting out demons. And so Jesus takes his disciples up on the Mount and he starts to teach them. In the, chapter 5, we get the Beatitudes. We hear what Jesus has to say about adultery and divorce. And in chapter 6, is instructions on prayer and, and, and our ability to give charitably and fasting. And, and then we come to chapter 7. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7 in a message that I have titled, We the Jury. It seems like this world will refer to themselves as a jury at times they look at the Bible and they say it's got three words you can't judge me right do not do not judge which really means from a worldly perspective what that means is you let me keep sinning and don't look it means don't worry about what I'm doing it's okay because you can't judge me ha ha right I don't well. I don't know if they ever go. They 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 do almost though, right? We know that we know that there is a culture out there that cannot stand what we stand for as Christians. Matthew chapter seven, verse number one. It says, "Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured against you." And you say, "Whoa." Pastor, stop right there for a minute. Did these two verses just contradict each other? Verse number one, it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. And then it says, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. So what is it saying? Let me tell you what it's saying. Verse number two is giving us more instruction on verse number one listen to the words of christ people just they they read do not judge but then they they stop there's a comma in there and people put a period christ didn't put a period right there he put a comma and he said okay listen and let's pay attention to what else i have to say about this here's the thing jesus is saying in verse number one that you will be judged if you are going to judge other people well, to be fair to say, as humans, that's kind of part of our nature. Judging, using discernment, I mean, we, we judge fire as something that we shouldn't touch, right? There's a lot of things that we use proper judgment for. But he's saying, if you're going to judge, you're going to be judged. And you know what? There's, that's really okay, Isn't it a good thing in our lives for other people to be able to discern what we're doing to actually judge a Situation and relay that to us for somebody else to be able to look in at times. Shouldn't we be encouraging that? Let's keep reading Matthew chapter 7 verses 3 through 5 It says why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Again, this is the part of the scripture that... The world uses to demand that Christians do not judge the ungodly behavior that they have created as a lifestyle or they have become accustomed to and they want to hold on to that behavior more than they want to follow Jesus. So don't judge us. Look what it says in Matthew, right? And that's simply not in the Bible for us to turn a blind eye to everything. That's not what it's saying. In this context, Jesus is not prohibiting all types of judging, but he's saying that hypocritical, self-righteous, and other kinds of unfair judgment, those those are forbidden. But he's not saying all types of judgment. Let's finish this section out. Matthew chapter seven, we're in verse number six. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So here's the principle. This is what this is why Jesus did not perform miracles in front of the unbelievers. You remember that? He says, "Hey, I'm not Yeah, you don't believe in me. I'm not performing miracles for you. I'm not I'm not here a magician." Like, because what Jesus did was holy. And he says, don't throw your holy, don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't, don't throw your, your, your valuables, don't throw your holiness out in the mud. There is an allowance in our faith for judgment, but we must be able to determine what direction we need to move and what other people are out for, and what evil might might exist in our world, we need to be able to determine these things. Remember just a moment ago, Jesus used this analogy. He says, He says, um, don't be trying to take the plank or the log out of your eye when you've got a piece of sawdust in, or don't take the plank out of someone else's when you've got a piece of sawdust in your eye, right? So what... Here's the one thing the world likes to do. They like to say, oh, well, you can't, you can't uh, come and complain about my sin when you've got sin. But here's the interesting thing I think that the, that the world uh, doesn't realize and isn't paying attention to in these verses. See, sawdust, or a speck, is what's referred to here as, as a piece of sawdust or a piece of wood, and a log are really the same product, right? Right? It's the same product. So it's just a different size. So the world claims that you're hypocritical if you're going to say, hey, you know what? Um, your adultery is not, it's not right. And if somebody turns around and says, well, you've been a smoker for 20 years, that's not right. Are those the same thing? No, those aren't the, those aren't the same things, right? What, what Christ is saying is don't be talking to him about his affair when you're seeing your secretary on the side. Same thing. Sawdust, log. Okay? So that's where the hypocritical part comes in. That's what Christ is saying, is that, you know what, there there are apples and oranges, but this world likes to say, don't look at any of my sin if you, in fact, are a sinner of any kind. But it doesn't mean that we can't talk to people. We We can see that If others are struggling with issues and if we're struggling with that same issue see we're told take that speck out of your eye right first so if as we realize that somebody else is struggling with that sin we're really not supposed to talk to them until we we kind of look inward first right am I struggling with that sin maybe I maybe I am turning that light back on me that could be helpful right that can be helpful. Because I want to clear this up, I want to clear up that same speck and we're going to talk about wood. I'm going to talk about a piece of wood with this person. I'm going to take this sawdust out. What we're not talking about, it's not as if I have wood and, and he has steel, and we're talking about two different things. We're on the same subject here when people use the the line that oh you're a hypocrite for talking to me about my sin well we're all sinners right we all have sin can you see that when we do look at ourselves that it helps us grow yeah we're going to recognize we can recognize the sin of others and we have to there's a pastor who answered the telephone a while back and um, he heard a woman's voice and She simply said, "Uh, please have uh, six cases of whiskey delivered to my home because we're having a party. And he knew that somebody had dialed the wrong number, but he recognized the voice as being a woman in his congregation. And he simply said, "Um, yeah, um, I'm your pastor. And so he'd expected an apology from this woman who is part of his church for dialing the wrong number and instead she got really angry at him and she says, well, pastor, what are you doing at the liquor store? (laughs) So there is this hypocritical kind of idea that, that, that we see at times. And we judge other people at times. Christians do, though, have a responsibility to understand our situations and understand people and act appropriately. And to do so, that is going to require some sort and some level of judgment. It is. How will we know what a brother or sister in Christ is struggling with if we're not able to assess the situation? How will we know if a friend is a good influence on us or not if we can't determine their faith by their fruits? How will we know how to help those who are lost out of their sin if we don't recognize what sin is? See, we're not God the Father. We're not going to be condemning anyone to hell for their actions. That's not our job. But if we are to be the light of the world, then we have so we must be able to recognize darkness and point it out. Some people are afraid to speak up and they say, Well, that's not my job. That's God's job. God's going to do all the work. I'm just going to live kind of low key. I'm going to live under the radar. I'm going to let God do his work. Ladies and gentlemen, you know how God works in our world? He works through us. Amen? Yeah. That's the way God works. He works through his people. But what if his people refuse to work? What if you and I are refusing to go out and talk to other people? What if we're refusing to call people out on their sin? What if we're refusing to shine that light back on us? You and I are His people. If we're not shining a light in the message of Christ, might not be getting to where it needs to go. And part of shining a light you know what happens when you turn the light on in a sinful world, right? Yeah. So you remember that apartment in your teenage years, right? You'd come out in the morning, you'd turn on the light in the kitchen and scatter the roaches. They're all gone. Okay, so that was my apartment. We had to buy these little bait things. And, but when you turn on the light, like everything scatters, right? You know why? It's supposed to happen like that. It is. it's supposed to happen like that when we when we shine the light of jesus only the darkness suffers christ isn't suffering you and i aren't suffering we're doing our job when we're shining that light i'll say this the world that despises jesus it does have an argument sometimes it feels like the church is bashing non-believers, when we openly and we knowingly let sinners roam the halls of the church without correction. The Apostle Paul speaks about this to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul calls out this church in Corinth for their pride. They're prideful of the fact that they weren't judging this man who was having a sexual relationship with his father's wife. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse number 1, and I want you to listen to how Paul is scolding this church for not using proper judgment. This is what he says, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. Now, mind you, Paul is writing a letter. 1 Corinthians is his second letter to this church. It's the first one that we have. He's already written them a letter. Now he's writing another one. Listen to his tone. I can hardly believe the report about you, about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I am told this man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning and sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit, and as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus you must call a meeting of the church i will be present with you in spirit and so will the power of the lord jesus then you must throw this man out and hand him over to satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed watch this and he himself will be saved on the day of the the lord returns wow pretty powerful right Paul expects this person to be removed from the church before their behavior causes more people in the church to sin. Do you think it already is by the fact that it's known and it continues to happen? So, We're starting to see now that the Bible is showing believers that there is a difference between the actions that we take because of our judgment of people on the outside of the church and the actions we take inside the church. We not only need to be able to grow in our ability to judge our situations in life, but we must be willing to stand for the truth of scripture both inside and outside the walls. there's so many people that look at the church and they don't see what goes on every Sunday but they see what makes the news they do see what makes the news we're actually at point number two in your notes Did I give you point number one no, no? oh everyone's crying saying what's point number one in your note I would be too sorry um, is it up on the screen oh no Point number one in your notes as Christians, we must judge by biblical standards, but not as the all-powerful authority. For those of you joining us for the first time in uh, your bulletin on the left side, there's some fill in the blanks. You can keep keep up with that if you'd like to and, and take notes right there. Point number two in your notes this morning, judgment and discernment inside the church is very biblical. Judgment and discernment inside the church is very biblical. If we're looking at this story in 1 Corinthians, there's some distinct characteristics. The sin in this church of this man, it was public knowledge. Everyone knew what was going on. It was consistent. It was not a one-time affair, but an ongoing relationship. It was unrepentant. And in the eyes of those participating, apparently there was nothing wrong with this behavior. We see that Paul is irate about the situation because the church is not looking out for each other. They were so concerned about not associating with sinners outside the church. Paul had written them a letter before and he had told them, don't associate with sinners. And so they cut off all ties with the sinners outside the church. And now Paul is saying, wait, 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 wait. He says, okay, what I meant in that letter was don't associate with sinners inside your church. He says the sinners outside the church, if you're not going to associate with them, you're going to have to leave this world because they're everywhere. So, but I don't want you associating with sinners inside the church. He says, don't even eat with people who claim to have faith, but they are in sin and everyone knows about it? Paul says, let's work on this relationship to fix it. We don't brush it under the rug. If somebody claims to be a brother or sister in Christ, but their fruit shows otherwise, it's important to be able to address that situation before it hurts others. This will also hopefully bring them back. If you think about, okay, well, um, what, how is that going to hurt others? Our, our world likes to say that, right? How is my lifestyle going to hurt other people? Well, how does it hurt inside the church? Doesn't it hurt inside the church if there is, if there is something going on And leadership doesn't take care of it and the church doesn't take care of it doesn't it set an example for other people that hey this church thinks that's okay this church apparently is cool with that is the Bible cool with that probably not is the church being obedient probably not Paul emphasizes to the Corinthians that God set up the church as a family of brothers and sisters in Christ and we should hold each other accountable. There's something that happens when we know that people are looking at us, right? There's a change in behavior when we know that we have to report to somebody else. The the church in Corinth was not holding this man accountable accountable and his actions were going unchecked and we see that that his sin became so much a part of his life that everyone accepted it They're like okay that's what he does that's his dad's wife that he's bringing to church and we're all cool we're getting you know we're not going to do anything we're not going to say anything oh you know what because god will take care of that well yeah this, this is this is how God takes care of it. We need to talk, right? Behavioral scientists in recent years have expounded this, this truth that behavior that is observed changes. People who are accountable in the, among a group of friends, maybe among counselors or a psychiatrist or a pastoral counselor, to a study group, to a prayer group, People who are serious about changing their behavior when they are in a group of people and they know they're being watched change is possible studies done in factories have proven that both quality and quantity of work increases when employees know that they're being watched has anyone worked at a in a factory or anyone worked at a place where you've got a you've got to meet quotas you've got to be meet numbers and like whatever you do It's on the board. Everyone can see it. Oh, no. Yep If uh, um, I know there's a lot of warehouses around here and they do that quite often. I was at Amazon a while back and uh, What you pick Kelly's been there what you pick or what you stow or what you package It's all measured and it goes up on the wall and when other people can see How terrible your work is or how great your work is your behavior changes, right? See, if somebody's keeping an eye on you, behavior improves. How does that apply in the church? Whoa, that has pretty big implications in the church, right? Yeah, as individual believers, our action shows the love of Jesus to others. But as a church, as a a body, the actions of the church also show Christ's love to other people. But what are we doing inside to keep each other accountable? What if we all came to church, sat down, quiet, didn't really get to know anyone, didn't build a family, listened to some songs, listened to me talk for half an hour, and then we just went home? You can kind of keep in your own little world, right? That's one thing that we've been working on in this church is building a culture of family and togetherness building a culture of people who purposefully look out for each other, who will call each other, who will text each other, who will post on Facebook their their prayer requests. We've got a board right here. I don't know many other churches that have a prayer board right over here. We put our prayers out in public. Just write them on the board. Let's pray about them right here. Thursday night Bible study, we go around the table taking prayer requests. Sometimes we're like 20, 25 minutes and. Prayer requests in on, in on prayer. That's building a family and that's working to keep accountable. That's not just showing up and leaving, right? We have, that, we have that responsibility to each other. How can the church expect culture to legitimately accept the message to get rid of homosexuality when like, priests inside the church are abusing children and it's a direct connection between the sawdust and the log that's seen by the outside world? Right? Now, I'm not putting anything down against, a, against another, uh, another church because uh, that, that, that faith has, has brought a lot of people. But that is a direct link between sawdust and a log. And that's what culture sees. And you know what happens when there's entirely too much privacy and no accountability? These things can happen for generations. This church is one that we look to build this culture of being connected, being this culture of a family. You think, how, how many times this week have I called mom, dad, sister, brother, somebody in my immediate family? Probably a few times, if, if it's somebody that you care about. How, how many times have, have we reached out to, uh, to our church family? I'll tell you here at this church, there have been, there have been times this week, and I see it go back and forth on text message and on Facebook and other places. And I encourage you, let's keep that up because that is accountability to each other. It's continuing to grow in faith together. We're not supposed to brush it under the rug. Our job as a church is to use solid biblical judgment to those who live to a higher standard, right? First Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. Paul says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheap people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet, but yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those on the inside of the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside. But as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. If we just let it go, it festers, right? Like putting a band-aid on a sword or addressing a cut. Like when that cut first happens. That gives it a better opportunity to heal than if you let it get infected and you let it fester and become a scar, right? See, it's so important to the Apostle Paul that sin does not sit inside that church and fester. The people at the church in Corinth, they were proud that they were staying away from outside sinners, which Paul had instructed them to do in a previous letter, which is something that is within our rights as Christians is to... Distance ourselves from the sin of the world, although be a light to that world. They were so busy watching out for the wolves on the outside that they forgot to pay attention to the predators on the inside. Jesus continues his sermon in the mountain, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says... Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit, it's chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. Did you recognize the first word of this scripture? It's the word beware. I don't know if it's still up there. Oh no, can we go back one more slide? Maybe. It's the word beware. This literally means to adjust your behavior based on the judgment you make in the situation. Pay attention, he says. If you're paying attention, if you're going to beware, that requires a judgment, right? He says, be careful of the people around you. Point number three in your notes. The reason that we must judge is to identify fruit. We must be able to discern a person by their work. We must be able to recognize is this grapes or is this thistles? Is this a thorn bush? We're given that responsibility inside the church. We must, in order to stay on our proper biblical path, we must know the threats and the roadblocks that are in our way. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes as as this church grows, we can look ahead six months and we can see what should be out there, but we don't know exactly what's going to be out there. We can tell that, hey, in a, in a few weeks, if we're going like this, we're going to need to put seats back there. That's great. There are some things that we don't know. There's sometimes we get to know people before we move people into leadership positions here, right? Because we have to discern. Because if a wolf is in sheep's clothing, sometimes you don't know that right away, right? they spend a lot of time dressing up as a sheep and depending on how good a makeup artist they have they they very well could sell us pretty good huh yeah they could sometimes it takes time our leadership here they most of our leadership know hey you know what I move slow in some things takes a little bit of time we want to look we want to we want to see where the Lord is leading this If the Lord is leading our decisions, we can't go wrong. Amen? Amen. The good fruit of others will, it should draw us near. You want to know, is this good fruit? Is this bad fruit? Is it drawing us? And is it biblically drawing us in? What is drawing us to this person? What is drawing us to somebody on the outside? Is this good fruit? Or is it that thing in the back of our mind that we don't want anyone to know about? There is a danger in associating with poison because we didn't make the proper judgments with our friends. Would it be fair to say that sometimes the people we love the most are the people who are the most venomous to us? Are the people who who can draw us away from Christ easier than anyone else? We have to be careful of those situations, right? Right? We must be careful of those situations. But what about the fruit of others inside the church? How can we help others if we turn a blind eye? How can we we grow if other people can't see where we need growth? Because in the church, we're still sitting here saying, don't judge me. We're saying, hey, don't judge me. I'm, I'm a sinner, but I'm at church too. Don't judge me. You know what? When we break down that wall and we let somebody see us, that's where we grow. That's how we grow. Because sometimes we can't self-identify all the areas that we need growth, right? Or sometimes we can, but we leave out a good amount of territory because we want to hold on to that. Remember how quickly Eve was deceived by the snake who lied to her? What if she had taken a little bit more time To say, you know what, okay, snake, I hear you. Um, I'm going to go talk to God about this. Um, I just, I really want to sit on this for a little bit and look at this situation and kind of judge these options here. What if she had taken more time to put the words of a snake up against the words of God? What if we take more time to put the words of the world up against the word of God? Judging isn't banned in the Bible, but the way that we treat people because of the judgment is very much governed in the Bible. We have to use this biblical application for righteous judgment to keep ourselves a safe dif- distance from, from those who are, who are worldly and those who shoot poison arrows and those who will hurt us spiritually. But because we recognize the sin of others, we must still, get this, treat them the way Jesus would. Wow, that's hard. That is hard sometimes. In our culture that is very divided, in our culture that is very split down the middle, that is very right and left, red and blue, we still have to love them like Christ would. Even though we know that their actions, that their lifestyle, that their thoughts, that the way they live is outside biblical authority, we're not that judge. God's that judge. We have to act accordingly to keep ourselves safe in the situation, but we still must love. Jesus loves sinners. We're all sinners. We're all undeserving of his grace. Every single one of us. Jesus illustrated his love for the lost like this in Luke chapter 10. I'm just going to read you a story You don't have to look it up. I'm going to read it to you, and you probably know the story. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man said, "Eh, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. He said a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he just crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to the inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay it next time I'm here. Jesus asked the leader, Now which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes. Now go and do the same. Here's a very important lesson for Christians when it comes to the judgment of others. Because those who are others just might be our Samaritan one day. If that's the case... If it's somebody who we know who is on the outside, if it's somebody who we know and we've judged that lifestyle and we can't come close, but we can still love them, they still might be the person saving us from the side of the road one day. And if it's them, when we are on the back of their donkey and they're taking us to an inn, we can tell them about Jesus. See, just because the world doesn't know Jesus doesn't mean that some of them don't care and don't love and don't have hearts. And some people here in this world are so open and so desperate to hear the Word of Christ. They'll open up at times. And that's our job. Because the Lord works through His people. And we are the Lord's people. Amen? Jesus sacrificed Himself for us. People who He didn't know. People who were sinners. People who live a lifestyle different than His. People who Christ would judge and say, You know what? I can't have anything to do with you. But you know what He did? He still saved us. He still... He still went to the cross and went through the pain for people who didn't deserve it. But you know, when, when he was in situations, when he was being tempted, when he was in situations that could have created spiritual warfare, he judged the situation, he protected himself, and he told people about, he told people about salvation. He sacrificed for you and I, and it's our job to remember that.